Welcome back to Your Ag Empire, where we roll up our sleeves, dig in the dirt, and uncover the secret to success in the world of agriculture. I'm your host, Jonathan Harrelson, a Texas farmer and rancher, farm risk consultant, and commodity coach. New episodes drop on Wednesdays on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, and we'd be honored to have you as a subscriber. Today, we're joined by John Blinn, a former farmer and seed stock producer turned bowling proprietor out of Independence, Iowa. I'm excited for you to hear this conversation where we're tackling how you know it's time to leave the herd behind and jumping into the deep end on a new business venture. John is open, he's honest, and he shares what the ag industry means to him. I really enjoyed this episode, and I know you will too. All right, joining us is John Bland Hailing from the Black Dirt capital of Iowa. Um, <laughs> John, I, I'm so glad you could be there with us today. Um, we're not going to talk about plows and tractors today, but uh, yeah, uh, you you were a registered Hereford guy. Yep. What? Uh, give me a little background about your your ag history and kind of um, you being in the cattle business in Iowa. Um, when I grew up, my family had a plastics business. They did a uh, thermal forming and made cab roofs for John Deere tractors and different things for, uh, consoles for semis, stuff like that. And they sold that company in 1999 and my grandpa had always wanted to have Hereford cattle. So with now having more time to do more things, uh, Hereford cattle came into our lives and I started to show back then that was, uh, 1999 was the first time I'd ever touched a cow. Um, it took me about 45 seconds and that was all I wanted to do at that point. Um, my little sister beat me the first year, every time we showed except for one, one time I won. The, the the question is, did she get to pick out the heifer or did you pick out the heifer first? Um, neither of us had a choice in the matter, having <laughs> zero knowledge. Um, she got the good one. I got the okay one. And uh, <laughs> yeah, she she waxed my ass there for a long time. And I, I, got, I got one trophy and that one trophy made me want the next one even more yeah. and really dedicated me and put me on the path to that was what I was going to do. Sure. Wanted to make a difference in, in the, yep. the breed. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then in, uh, 2000, um, my sister's heifer came from what was at that point, Star Lake cattle company in sky Oklahoma. And, uh, we, my dad and grandpa had the opportunity to purchase that ranch and so then i got to work with the absolute best in the business um the privilege that i had i used to call it just a blessing but now i'm old enough to realize that it was just privilege that allowed me to be around these great phenomenal individuals the best marketers the best feeders the best embryo guys Sure. We had the best of the best and we 
were able to win a bunch of carload trophies in Denver. I won seven national championships showing heifers. Um, We were, I was able to be around and witness and help play a small role in that place. Um, We had the first online monthly auctions that were on live auctions. Yeah. Um, We'd sell embryos and that became my job to get those lots together, do the footnotes, get everything online and run those auctions. Um, That was, that was cool to be a part of that. And it's cool to now look back and see how, much that's taken over i mean if we hadn't done it someone else would have but it's always cool to be the first um, yeah yeah i'd say you were kind of a pioneer i mean about about 10 to, to 15 years you know before it's been become more mainstream now it seems like yeah uh, yeah now it's just the way mm-hmm. um so that was that was really cool to be a part of that in 2012 we had the star lake dispersal and uh, that part of life went away. Um, my wife, Crystal and I had our own herd of Hereford cattle. Uh, we called that JJB cattle company uh-huh. and we had 35 to 40 cows at most. We had 40 to 60 acres of pasture and we sold show heifers and herd bulls and uh, show steers and did that deal it it was definitely a blast we sold show feed as well had a nice little diversified operation yep yeah so you guys i mean you've kind of always had that that entrepreneurial spirit you know and um you know kind of growing up it looks like just with the uh the moldings company the everything that you guys have have kind of been involved in growing up you you've seen different avenues to make money yeah yeah i i was definitely lucky to be around the people that i was and to see that you can do things on your own i i would have been a pretty bad employee for anybody else and probably wasn't <laughs> the greatest when i worked for my family i'm definitely Crystal and I both are people that working for ourselves is our best avenue, even though she's extremely accomplished in the, she worked for the Angus Association and for Vitafirm Surechamp and their marketing and did a great job with that. But we, we've definitely really taken to the entrepreneurial life and having it all be on our shoulders. What do you think intrigues you the most? You know, a lot of folks say it's the freedom. Um, I, I tend to feel like it's, it's, I don't want to be capped, you know, like I don't want you to say, Hey, you can only make 50 grand or you can only make 75,000. Like I don't, I don't want to be capped. And, and odds are you, you're going to have a couple of years in there. You might not make anything, but yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like the, this bowling alley, I've finally started to get paid in year two and, it I'm the lowest paid employee. Sure, um, sure. It's, it's one of those deals like, but I also know what we're growing and what the vision is. And I can take a backseat for a little bit to 
let us get this place to what we want it to be and what we know it can be. So let, let's go back a little bit here. So we've, I mean, we've got the cattle operation and that's been like a pivotal part of you and your family. I mean, your identity, I mean, like everything that you have been uh, since early, you know, in, in high school, you were, it, it was all about the cattle business. I mean, that was you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you made a conscious decision to sell out. Now, walk yeah. me through that decision. Well, my advice to every kid that we'd sell a show calf to was, if you don't love doing this, you need to find something else to do. Like, you're wasting my time, you're wasting your parents' time and money. If you're not going to be all in, you need to be all out. Mm -hmm. There's too much at stake to be half pregnant and own a herd of cattle. And I wanted to do all of it. Uh, I wanted to do the bowling alley. We had a marketing business. We had the feed business. We had a lot of things going on. And when we bought the bowling alley, it was just like, I'm going to do it all. Like, why wouldn't I? That's what we do. We do yeah, all just, of the things. Just to add more to our, our plate. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it got to be, we bought this in, on January 1st, we took over. And that following June, uh, the bowling alley closes down for the summer. It's nice outside in northeastern Iowa. Nobody wants to be inside rolling a ball at some pins. So we closed down. It was time to do farm stuff again. And I just wasn't getting anything done. I'd go out and feed. I'd take care of everything. The animals were always taken care of, but I had fence to fix. I had calves to break. I had things to do and I just wasn't getting it done. And Crystal and I had some tough discussions about why is this not happening? She was frustrated when she'd come home from her job and see that I hadn't gotten a lot done. I was mad that I wasn't getting it done. And then we both in our own way had just kind of dropped the, do we need to sell this? Does this need to still be part of our lives? And then one day it was like, okay, th this is it. It's time to sell the farm. So, so leading up to this, I mean, like from a, I mean, financially you guys were doing fine, right? Is, is this just a, yeah, it, it, this wasn't a financial. No, it wasn't a financial deal. Um, and I mean, with the way it was going, it could have been. Sure. Cause like I said, if you half ass this stuff, especially on the purebred seed stock side, nobody knows until you're raising them how expensive it oh. is. Um, you've got to sell them for double, triple, quadruple, 10 times market price. On average, I've had a lot of guys reach out and ask about, you know, doing embryos. What would you say your average cost in an embryo calf would be? You've got to sell that thing for three times market to be able to call that good. Yeah. Um, with it everything you got in it. And that, that doesn't take time into account. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there's everybody will lie about it cause they love doing it. 
and say that it's less expensive than what it is when they're <laughs> setting up their donor cow and they're giving the shots or doing all the things. And you don't have to do a lot of that now with in vitro and stuff like that, but you, you've got to make a lot of money to pay for those things. And then you get the two really good heifers that you don't want to sell. So you sell half of them. <laughs> then you got a partner. Then you got somebody else that you've got to feed on the deal. It's tough. Like you definitely do the seed stock deal for the love of the game. Sure. It's almost like you're chasing that big one, you know, that always, uh, always it's, it's, it's that $100,000 bull or that $50,000 female, you know, or, Hey, we're going to, we're going to sell two flushes for 30 grand a piece, you know, like that kind of stuff's what you're chasing. Yeah. It's not, it's not those $3,000 calves because you're not getting ahead on those. And that great one that you've got in the barn, it's ready. It's primed up. That thing gets sick. <laughs> Every <it's> time. Gone. <laughs> and, and then I, I had one. She was one of my top three favorite heifers of all time. We took her to the state fair. She came back, got a little bit of a cough. It got super humid. And she ended up getting pneumonia real quick, went down, had the vet out, tried to save her. Everything that we could kept her in the barn, kept fans going, trying to keep air moving, but nothing helped. We ended up losing her. And as I'm getting her out of the barn, her foot flips up, hits me right in the nuts. And I just went, this is the most fitting thing that could have happened right now. (laughs) (laughs) You were getting that nudge to get on out of the business right there. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was, that was five years before we got out. (laughs) It, it, it always seemed like there's, there's always those little moments where you look and you go, this is fitting. This is, this is where it is. I know. It seems like everybody that has that great one in the barn, as soon as anybody finds out about it and they see it, you can just do it. In. It's it that that calf is probably going to die. That horse, yeah. that, you know, you turned down 30, 50, 100 grand for, you know, brought it back home. <laughs> it's yeah. like a death sentence for it. I mean, just it, is. Yeah. And the, the Iowa State Fair, we'd go every year. It wasn't the greatest place to sell calves. We only sure. sold a few out of there in the whole time that we went. Um, and that one we'd turned down money on, oh, <laughs> <wow>. <laughs> which I would have given the money back <laughs> if she would have went to the guy's place and died. But <laughs> it's, it's like, it's those things where you're like, oh, great. Could have, should have, would have. I'm glad we're laughing about this because I mean, I, I, Oh, that's all you can do or you'll go insane. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. I, I just like this. This topic is huge in the ag community right now. And and I've had several guys that, you know, whether it's financial or like you said, I mean, you were just stacking so much stuff on because you felt like you had to. Yeah. But want to wanted to and had to. And, and And it's hard for us to ever say no. And we just continue to just throw that up on us, take, take more, just throw it on our shoulders and it ends up wearing us down. I mean, I think mentally, spiritually, we're, we're weak individuals whenever that happens. Yeah. I had no idea how much it wore on me until I didn't have that burden. 
it, did it you was see, huge. Did did you and your wife did you find that it caused stress the more that you loaded your your wagon so to speak that it created stress between you guys? Um, there wasn't a lot of stress between us because we were on the same page. We both signed up for it. It was what we did. We're both very spiritual people uh-huh. and we know that whatever's been thrown at us, there's a reason why and we're going to figure it out and we're going to be fine as long as we keep moving forward. It's when you it's when you stop moving forward that you get bit. 100%. I think it's a great point right there because I mean we've talked about this in previous podcast how faith, you know, is a big part. And so I find it interesting whenever we talk to entrepreneurs that have made tough decisions, you know, I'm going to say nine and a half times nine and a half out of 10, (laughs) they usually are very rooted in their spirit and what they believe with faith. And I just, uh, I think that's an interesting point to bring up and to kind of talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got a couple of my best friends are atheists but they're not farmers. <laughs> they're, they're both entrepreneurs, but I mean, you, you've got to have blind faith that everything, as long as you keep charging and keep working is going to turn out the way that you need it to be. And that there's a reason why I, I don't know how you'd do it without. I, I think in the livestock and in the crop side of things, like we, I mean, we see death, destruction, and and everything was perfect going into it. Mm-hmm. And you can't help but ask why. <laughs> why <Yeah>. me? <laughs> why yeah. that calf, you know? Like, it had so much potential, uh, or the crops looked phenomenal right up until it quit raining. Yeah. Or the derecho came through and laid it all over, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We got married in April of 2012, right at the start, I'd already mowed all the fence lines two times. By the time that happened, that's completely out of the norm. Um, sure. The Crystal's Canadian family came down and they thought that Iowa was it. They were <laughs> like, this is amazing. Look at your grass. It's already, cows are already belly deep in grass. This is beautiful. The trees were flowering. Everything looked perfect. We had a massive drought that summer. Oh, wow. Everything was perfect. We got back from our honeymoon and our crops were already in the ground. Everything was set up to be great. And then we had a crop failure. That That's how it goes. <laughs> like You think sure. it's great. And then guess what? Left turn. I can sympathize being down here in Texas. I mean, we. Oh, yeah. it, it just seems like... Every third year, fourth year, we're going to experience a drought like that that just kind of messes with us, and uh, it makes it tough, you know? Yeah. So y- you go through this, you you make a decision to sell out. I mean, yep. I, I'm sure there was a sense of relief once the sale had completed, maybe some anxious feelings. Yeah, not. we didn't have time for relief. Um, sure. The bowling alley opens back up. League start in September. We moved in October. The cows left the first day of October, I believe. You almost had to bury yourself up and get busy again. Just you almost couldn't yeah. mourn the loss of the cows, so to speak. <laughs> no, we 
found a place. We had a plan of how we wanted to sell them. Uh Um, Wanted to sell them as an entire herd. It was getting down to the point where we were going to have to start putting groups together. I'd started to build the spreadsheet on what that would look like. And then the Christians came along and Josh and his dad came and looked at the herd and went back home and talked it over and then called back and said that they'd take them. Uh, So we were able to send them off to a great home. Josh, the son has a little boy and they said that they've got a big farm, big row crop. They've got some uh, finishing buildings and they wanted to be competitive 4-H wise by the time that the son was able to show and they got the cheat code. Like they (laughs) bought one of the best herds of Hereford cattle in the state of Iowa and were able to jumpstart that way. So knowing that they went to the right spot and that they got to stay together, that made any morning or anything like that a lot easier. If we'd have had to take them to the sale barn, Sure. Then that would have been downright depressing. But just knowing that they still had a chance to do their thing and stay as a group was definitely made the process easier. Absolutely. And I I guess that you can kind of see what happened with your project, so to speak. Yeah, it's, it's cool when they post pictures and videos on Facebook and you get to see your cows and can still pick them out just... Sure. without even seeing their tag and uh yeah that's been cool to be able to see that uh i haven't really had the time to keep up with them as much as i thought i would uh-huh. um i even tried to get on the herford website the other day and just look some stuff up and that part of my brain that i could remember remital online's registered number I had it memorized. I had all these things just memorized. Now that's been replaced with the 233 moving parts on each pin spotter that we've got. It's, it's amazing when you've got something else to take up the space, how quickly the things move out. Sometimes I wonder if we in agriculture kind of hamstring ourselves to our full potential because we allow something to take up space that maybe, maybe shouldn't take up 90% of our space, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we could better delegate that. And that's hard. I mean, we're all raised in ag, most of us. Um, mm-hmm. So you kind of have a, a thought out way that, you know, the way grandpa did it, dad did it, you, you know, even though you, maybe you change and you go a certain direction, you still kind of take up space with those those thoughts and those ways. And, and, uh, it's hard to, to get rid of that. And so I think it's sometimes harder for us to break that habit, that cycle. Yeah. And that, that's a great part about agriculture is you can also take all those things that you know and have experience with, and you can take and put them into anything else and be successful. So we've got the bowling alley and, and you talk about this, how did being an agriculturalist, uh, a rancher, what things helped you in this new venture? Oh, daily. There's things that come back being able to work on the machines first and foremost, when 
you're at the other side of a 350 acre field and the dominator breaks, you've got to figure out how to fix it. You can't just say, well, it's out there somewhere. Somebody else go get it. You got to figure it out in the moment when the water freezes, you've got to figure out how to get that thing thawed out when the calf gets sick, when there's a calf coming backwards right then you've got to figure it out and that's applied directly to the mechanics of this place it even goes back to my time that i got to spend at star lake we had the most meticulous guy in the world setting those cows up to flush Mm -hmm. we had the late great dr brad stroud flushing those cows we had Todd Herman out feeding all the show cattle, doing a phenomenal job with that. Josh Taylor working on show calves, clipping, doing cow stuff. And Monty Souls was the guy doing all the marketing. Like all these guys were such precise professionals. I got to learn from all of them. Brad Brather was the guy that worked for us there and he could take care of cattle. And, um, sorry. No, you're good. We we lost Brad uh, last year, and uh, I got to spend a lot of time with him in a truck, out feeding cows and doctoring calves, and the amount of care and precision and excellence that I learned from those guys is directly applied to what I do every day. It's pretty cool to those guys before my family owning it were all my heroes. Sure. And then I got to work with them and now I get to take the stuff that they taught me in a completely different venture and apply that to my business and teach young people the same things and pass that down. Do you think that the things they were teaching you then would come back to help you now. And and like you said, in a completely unrelated business. Um, potentially. I mean, I, I think there was probably times that they weren't sure I was learning anything. <laughs> um, I was, I was in my, I was in my twenties and early thirties and having a big, having a big time. Um, so, um, they were like, I don't know if this kid's going to make it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there was a large amount of time where I was the only one that knew I was going to. (laughs) Sure. I, I just think that's neat. And I think we take for granted as, as fathers in agriculture, the impact that we have on our kids, whether they come back to the family farm. I think sometimes, I've seen this where it's viewed as, as you know, if, if you don't come back to the family farm, like you're not successful. Yeah. I, I hate it whenever that pressure gets put on these, you know, these kids and, and young adults that as they're trying to figure out their way in life. Um, the one thing it's hard. Yeah. I mean, I, I want my kids to try anything. I mean, if if farming and ranching went away tomorrow for our family, like I just have, I know it it might be a bowling alley. It might be something else. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but I'm willing to try anything and learn anything. Um, And I think sometimes we lose that uh, on the farm. 
I think we yep. get kind of stuck in our ways on, on, you know, this is the only way. Yeah. Well, and I, I got to have the privilege of working with those great guys in Oklahoma. And after that went away, I farmed with my dad and grandpa and the group of farmers that we work with. And that was an amazing experience. There was a whole lot of times that we butted heads and <laughs> that, that ended up my dad's way of doing things and my way of doing things are vastly different. He, he came from a manufacturing background with the plastics business and was very, you've got to be here at eight. You've got to do this. There's steps and it's more manufacturing mindset where I was, I've got this, this, and this to do. I'm going to get those done after they're done. I'm going to do my other things mm -hmm. that I got to get done or want to get done. And those two worlds don't, match up very well especially when you've got a father-son relationship to it but yeah it's it's hard the family dynamics and the expectations of doing things i i would have loved to have stayed working for the family farm but that's not how it panned out so back to the always forward deal you just put your head down and keep moving forward and good things are going to come what uh as far as like financial management and, and that goes, like how did how did that correlate as you transitioned out of agriculture and into the the bowling alley? I'm sure your views may may be different than others where you know you did have a family that was investing in other things. So like they may have a, a, a totally different view on how to you know how to manage cash flows, how to how to manage uh, a finance operation. Yeah, it's definitely completely different mindsets that you have to take. There's a lot that correlates, though, in the sense of when it's go time, it's go time from September to the end of April. That's when it's time for us to make hay. And then you manage, you know how much you need to make it until the next September. And then you make hay again. And with uh, buying the bowling alley, there was a lot of improvements that we had to make to get it to the vision that we had for it. And uh, getting to that point, we haven't been able to generate as much income as we would like to. That's where being able to have 40 acre, beautiful showpiece farm that you can sell really comes in handy. Um, <laughs> We, we wouldn't have been able to do everything as fast as we wanted to without that. When you farm, you're definitely asset rich and cash poor. And until you can monetize those assets and see what else they can do, you never really know. And of course, everybody can't do that. Then we wouldn't have anybody to do it. But that, that goes back to the, if you don't love it, you got to find something that you do. Do you think that you have a better balance, better life balance now? Um, or are you just naturally a busy person? I, I've got to have something to do. I love the summer when I get to go and play golf. Sure. But I know that I can't do that if I don't bust my ass in the winter. Mm -hmm. It's not afforded. If I didn't love being here and genuinely love the people that I get to be around every day 
whether that's our customers or the people that work for us, then the balance would be out of whack. But when you love doing it, 14 hours a day isn't a big deal because it's what you want to do. There's days where I need to go home at 630 at night and just kind of sit in my chair and get a breather. And luckily, I've got people here that can take over and make things run so I can do that. That's where the balance has been able to work out for us with this venture is no matter whether it's ag or bowling, if you don't have the right people to help you out, you can't ever get away. And then it, then it becomes a burden. My biggest hope is when it comes time and this is no longer what drives me and before I get jaded and start to resent doing the work, hopefully there will be somebody that wants to buy it and wants sure. to love it like I do right now. And hopefully I we're in a position where that can happen. Um, the previous owner, he he's a good guy. He's, he was just to the point where he was jaded and he didn't like having a lot of people around and knew that the business would pay for what he needed to the way that he wanted to run it. And there wasn't a lot of room for the community to come in and enjoy it with his business model. And it's not wrong that that's how he wanted to run it. And we, we've just taken it in a different direction and tried to host as many birthday parties for kids as we can and have community events in here and open bowling and have it be a place that people can gather and have a good time. Absolutely. And it feels like a good time to hear from our sponsor who is very near and dear to our hearts. The one person that has supported us through everything. And that is this guy, Empire Ag. The Dirt is a monthly membership that includes a weekly commodity-focused email, market update calls, and commodity text alerts. Use podcast for 50% off your membership when you subscribe at youragempire.com forward slash the dirt. Welcome back. We've got John Blinn with us. We've been talking about uh, him selling out of agriculture and um, buying a bowling alley and completely taking his life direction uh, and his family's direction, uh, just going down a different path. Um, John, I'm, I'm sure that you've had some challenges in building the team uh, that's helped you. I mean, obviously, this is this is going to be a little bit different business, and it probably requires a few more employees than than at the ranch. What uh, what's that look like for you, and what's your philosophy on managing those employees? You definitely have to find people that fit and understand and buy into the direction of the company. I'm glad you use that word buy-in. Do you feel like regardless of their experience, if they buy in to the philosophy of the company, they buy into the vision, can you get them there? Would you rather have an employee like that or someone that's got so much experience but Maybe they don't buy into the direction, the vision that you have, that you've laid out. Yeah, they, they definitely have to buy in. Our way has proven to work already. And if they're not bought into our way, then that that's just, there's no room for 
them to succeed in how we want to operate. My my job's cool now. I kind of figured it out a few months ago that we're not in the bowling business. We're in the moments business. My every day is dedicated to creating moments that people remember. And if our staff is not dedicated to helping create those moments, then they aren't going to get made. Sure. That goes as far as the bartenders welcoming people in, the guys that work in the back, being sure that the people that are bowling aren't waiting too long when there's a pin jam, waiting too long when there's a machine down. We've got to have these things going and running and everything working smoothly so that the customer who is bringing in their discretionary money that could go anywhere else that so that they feel like it's a sound investment of their money and their time and that they're having a good time and building those memories that they'll be able to cherish forever whether it's the birthday party the high series the high game that the bowlers had the memories that they're making with their friends. Those are things that I hold dear and want to be sure that people get the most out of every experience. And there, there's always going to be times where we fall short on that, but that's just going to be the driver to go forward. And if the team isn't bought in on that, then we're missing it. Sure. Last week there was a birthday party and we always put up on the screen that the birthday child's name and whatnot and i miss that i didn't see that we had a birthday party scheduled and it wrecked me (laughs) i was i was completely sideways for about 12 hours because i missed that touch point and being able to make that special for that little six-year-old girl we gave them a discount on their birthday party package but those are the things that stick with you and you go damn it, I've got to get this right. I've got to do better. Yeah, that that little girl's never going to have another sixth birthday. Like It should have been done. It should have been done right. And that's the standard that I hold myself to and our employees. That's awesome. I, I mean, I can tell. I mean, I, I, I get I get your reaction there because, I mean, like you said, you, you take it personal. I mean, you're, you're in the relationship business too. I mean, I feel like... Absolutely. Like, the the more good experiences that they have, they're going to come back and they're going to love to see you. You're going to say hi to them. I mean, just that feel of comfort and home and it's their, it's their bowling alley, not yours. You're just facilitating it. Yeah. I prioritize time over everything else and the good time Mm -hmm. over everything else because we've got so little time in the grand scheme of things. Sure. Gotta be sure that when people come to your place, it's a good time. Absolutely. Now I'm curious, how do you like your employees? Do you have a, a big turnover in employees or are they pretty steady? They're pretty steady. Life ebbs and flows with everybody. Sure. They go through busy times and have to step back and then evolutions with our business change and that changes how that works as well. But we've been pretty lucky. We've hired on an assistant manager this year, and Kylie's done great. We've got, oh, I think we're sitting around 10 employees, but they all get it. How do you create an environment uh, where they feel like they're a team? It's not 
the easiest thing in the world, but when you're in the trenches with them, it's a lot easier. If it's something where employees or customers don't see you in the mix actively doing it, then it becomes a lot easier to just do your own thing. But when you're in the trenches, when you're in the fight with them, then it's it's a lot easier to lead from the example and just this is the way and not waver on what the standards are. Well, let's move into your wife. I know like she helps you with the bowling alley. I mean, this is this is a collaborative effort here. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's definitely when I it was a decade mm-hmm. that I had mentioned to the former owner, "Hey, if you want to sell this place, I want to buy it." And he laughed and didn't believe me. And uh then after I tried to get it the year before we did and he still kind of didn't believe me. I think he started to take me a little serious. And then the last time Crystal was like, "If you're going to do it, you got to do it now. Like, let's get it." I'm in. Let's go do it. Obviously, this is something you really want to do. And um, we we really love our community and knew that this was a place where we could have a large impact on our community. We weren't able to have kids. So now to with the cattle, we were able to influence and help out a small number of kids and kind of make an impact that way. And now with the bowling alley, we're able just to spread that out even more and uh, be able to help even more kids and have even bigger impact. And uh, so she she's been all in and she was working for one of our best friends, Travis Mock with People's Company when we bought it. And Travis also sold our farm for us. And now she has transitioned and she has a house of color franchise and she does color and style analysis. And that's been so cool that she is extremely passionate about her job with that and the experience that she gets to create and the amount that she gets to help people feel better about the clothes they're in and feel better about the style choices that they're making. And she's just damn good at it too. Um, She's got so an eye for that stuff. You and I talked about this, and I know we're going to have listeners that are like, "House of Color, what, what in the world is this?" And 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 I'm going to tell you, we both agree, so we can we can both get burnt down on this deal. <laughs> <laughs> but we both thought it was hokey as all get out. I thought it was fun with Photoshop at first. <laughs> like I was not convinced at all and then we would be walking through an airport and strangers would come up and tell crystal that she had a nice outfit on or comment on something that she had on and she'd just look at me and go see it's real (laughs) i was like i know i just i just witnessed it (laughs) it it cracks me up because i've had the exact same situation she's like this is one of my colors and it's bright and i'm like okay Here we go. We're <laughs> off off in the big city and, and it never fails. There'll be two or three people come up. Oh, I just love that color on you. And I mean, I'm sitting here going, this is crazy. I, I can't believe this is a thing, but it's a thing. It is. It's it's real as all get out. And I was super skeptical, but then after seeing people's reactions and she had dropped the hint that she was interested in doing it for herself sure 
after seeing the reactions, it was like, well, this seems real. So you better giddy up before somebody else snatches up the area. And so now here we are and she's got a great business going and she gets to help those people that come in feel empowered. And it's, it's been extremely rewarding. That's awesome. I love hearing that. That's just another, another testament guys that, uh, you can, you could go any direction, any direction. There are Absolutely. ways to make money. There are ways to serve people and to build relationships. And I think this is such a, a good example of, you know, if you have to make tough choices and you decide that agriculture's maybe not in your future or you've got to go a different direction because of uh, a health choice, uh, something something that's happened, um, it's not over. Like there's always, like, there is something else out there that God's going to call you to do and, and you can make it happen and you can have an impact on other people's lives. Yeah. And this is far from an easy business, but we had a high school meet in the other day and one of the other coaches is a fellow proprietor. And he was like, what would make you buy a bowling alley? You, You know, there's easier ways to make money, right? And I just laughed and said, yeah, well, clearly you've never been a farmer. Sure, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I think I've heard that at the coffee shop before, you know, <laughs> why are you oh, doing yeah. that? I feel like it's, it's such a good, uh, a good takeaway though, to, to see you make a big change like that. What, what's kind of a vision for growth or what do you look at for the future? We're pretty landlocked into the space that we have. So the future just looks like continuing to make what we have better. This year we added a little kitchen. You don't foresee adding like four or five bowling alleys across Iowa? or Oh, I originally did. When we bought this and the first like three, four months, I'd say, oh yeah, well, this is our first bowling alley. Yeah. And... Now I I'm pretty good with one. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that that evolution, you know, it, it's just like farming and ranching, you know, you, you get 200 cows. Now you want 400 or 800 yeah. or a thousand or, you know, farming a thousand acres. And that was a goal for a long time. And then now you're, you're like, man, I need 5,000 acres. It's just, yeah. Each year we've gone to the bowl expo, which we crystal and I are, very passionate about continuing education and learning from people who do it the best. And uh, there you run into so many people with these huge centers and multiple centers and all of these things. And it's always there that I go, well, I mean, we could have another one. (laughs) Like these guys do it and they, they think it's crazy that we just have one 10 lane center and they've done it and they've done it successfully. So I'm sure as, we continue to get around those people and continue to meet more people. There's probably a better roadmap to that. But right now where I sit, one, one's great. Take, take what you're doing and just do it really good right now. Yep. For time yep. being. Yeah. And it's, it's just like agriculture with expansion. As long as you've got the roadmap and the playbook, it's easy to duplicate after you've already done it and you've got the, SOPs and you've got the things in line, it's a lot easier to grow after that. But as we're still evolving and changing and perfecting those things for us, there's no need in stumping your toe too early. Yeah. Yeah. We're still babies in this deal for sure. Awesome. 
John, if you had to give us something uh, to take away, what kind of advice would you give um, agriculture's future, the way that things are looking and shaping up? Um, what kind of advice would you give farmers and ranchers that are listening? There are more ways to do things than the way that you've done it. The agriculture is in a good place from when you're in the trenches, it can feel like things are bad. I, I still see it on my Twitter feed all the time. Commodity prices are killing me. This is killing me. This is killing me. It's not great all the time and it's never going to be great all the time, but it, it's also not, not as bad looking at it from a grand scheme. There's there's more future in agriculture than it gets credit for. There, locally, I see more kids wanting to be involved. Find the kids that want to be involved. Take them and make them great. There's, there's still people that want to do it. There's always going to be people that want to do it. It's human nature. You've just got to find them and allow them to. There's guy locally that was a city kid, ended up working on a farm. Now he manages five finished buildings, I believe. Mm -hmm. And he's got a crew of kids that come in and work for him. He's paying it forward the way that it was done for him. There's all kinds of examples of people that want to be in agriculture. They just don't know a way or have the substantial amount of funding to be able to do it. As farmers who are starting to age out look, and if there isn't a kid coming back, which they shouldn't have to, there's somebody that will. Sure. want to do it just go and find them and that's not easy but they are available work with your local ffa go to the sporting events and see the kids that are working hard those are the ones you want and the ones that have drive and they'll be the ones that continue agriculture forward egg is a special industry and there's so many parts to it that it's not limited in nearly the capacity that you feel like it is when you're actively doing it. You hit something there that I think's really big in, in ag. It's like when you were talking about your Twitter feed, I think mm -hmm. the Twitter feed or the coffee shop. I mean, I will tell you there, there's a lot of negativity and it drives mm -hmm. me nuts. Um, and, and, you know, we, we spent, uh, last week we were at our elite retreat, uh, in Dallas and we had producers from all over the U S together. And, uh, and, and we really, I wanted to hammer home that quit looking at your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Like don't, don't determine whether or not you're a success or a failure or wear that heaviness based on what your neighbors, what Twitter's telling you, what, the coffee shop's telling you, let's look at your numbers. What are your numbers telling you? Comparison wrecks a lot of farms. They, and, you don't have a clue what Joe's numbers look like, but he's got a new combine. Absolutely. He's got this. He's got that. Why don't I have this? Do it's, your own thing. That, that was our, that was our point was we looked at, we looked at a producer's numbers and he was at a 15% net profit margin two years ago. He was at a 14% net profit margin last year. And his budget was showing a 17% net profit margin this year. But yet, if you read all the headlines, I get it. I get it. We are going to go through tough times. 
but you've got to be proactive in how you operate your business. And it doesn't matter if it's at the bowling alley or farming mm -hmm. or ranching, like it's all the same. Yeah. The BPA gave us a huge benchmark book that we can look at and look at our numbers for here and make comparisons of that and see if we're doing all right. When I got that, I dove in. I'm a analytical guy. Sure. And saw that and I was like, we're doing great here. We're doing marginal here. We're doing bad here. What do we have to do to fix that? And being able to take that same mindset and throw it into your own operation, it's you don't need to go off of Tom's down the road. You need to go off of yours last year or the year before. And you, you can only not worry impact. about what the other guy's doing. Yeah. You can only impact what's happening in within your turn rows or fences. That's the only thing that you can impact. Yeah. And we've got we've got a sign on the wall here that says nobody cares work harder. Agriculture, if I'm gonna knock it, it's a that a lot of people want to tell everybody how hard they're working. I agree. No, no one cares. You're doing your job. Like I love, absolutely love that people love agriculture. I still love it, but the nobody needs to thank everybody for doing their job and what they love. Yeah. Like when the thank a farmer thing started, it was great. That was, that was great, but it, it's time to die. Nobody, nobody, nobody needs to give you an attaboy. You're, you, you're so blessed that you get to do what you love every day. Telling someone that they should thank you for it is ridiculous to me. And it was when I was a farmer. I, I love y'all, but you're so blessed to be able to do what you do. Just take that and ride on it. Absolutely. I, uh, I tell you one thing that we've kind of learned today is failure is a mindset, you know, is it a failure for you to make the right moves and, and make changes in your life? Uh, you know, I think some of us like you probably had that in your, in the back of your mind. It's like, I left the operation, let it go. And I'm off on my new venture. There was probably some of it that people are going to say I'm a failure or, you know, he sold out cause he went broke or whatever. You know, you know how it is. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I think sometimes us in agriculture, we really need to use that and, and, and realize that it's just a mindset. Like you can pivot. And as long as you're doing what's right for you and your family, everything else doesn't matter. All the negativity can go by the wayside. Yeah, we had, we had a lot of that. We had, well, you did this because of this, this because of that. Y'all don't know. You weren't there. You weren't you were at the coffee table with Crystal and I when we were making these decisions. You don't you don't understand why. You don't have the same perspective. And that's that's the best thing that we had going for us was we knew why. And genuinely after talking with our family and having them understand why we were doing what we were doing, we didn't care what anybody else thought. That's irrelevant. As long yep. as the people that we know and love understand why we're doing what we're doing, everybody else can get over it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, I I appreciate you coming on. This has been a, an interesting topic to cover and I yeah. I've enjoyed it greatly. Yeah. I uh, as a yeah, kid, thanks I remember, for having me. I remember looking at all the the Star Lake Herefords always liked those. Yeah. But, um, yeah. 
that was all yeah, I checked out every time the catalog would come out. Yeah, it was always a good read. Monty always did a great job with the footnotes. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, I'd wear those things out. Well, guys, that is it for today's Your Ag Empire podcast. You can find us across social media at youragempire.com. If you feel so inclined, give us a review wherever you're streaming or visit youragempire.com to visit our show notes. Be good or be good at it. 